Welcome back, Rage Nation. Definitely not PR friends. Myself, Pete. He needs to stop, like, fucking getting cute with these kicks. John the Mountain Man Stokes. You're not putting them on my models, motherfucker. Chris the non-tech Asian. Put the tape measure up and get some wages. You, yeah, no, you really frustrated me. You walked away and you came back and your scalpel had been thrown across the room. <laughs> I'm just here so I don't get fined. I will will share with you my one rage quit story. You know, I'm a robot and I don't have a solo press now eight. This is going to be a really great opportunity for everybody to see how you effed up. Welcome back, Rage Nation. We got a special occasion. It is Rage Quit Wire's 50th episode. Woo! Woo! For me, People but, didn't think it... But, yeah. yeah. People didn't think it'd be done. Yeah. Episode one, they what? were like, who are these fucking idiots on this stupid, fuzzy little recorder? No, nobody listened to episode yeah, one. Yeah, they were laughing at us, and look at them now. Still laughing. No one's laughing at us. Or everyone. <laughs> nobody listened to episode one. No one laughs the at my jokes. The only time anybody listened to episode one is because they like thought you guys were kind of funny and went back and listened to it. Yeah, I guess. Me included. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know what you were getting. I was like, I know these guys now. I guess I'll listen to what this, what they're talking about. Yeah, and I mean, so we started this podcast about roughly about a year and a half ago, and we basically started it just because at the time we felt like there wasn't a lot of podcasts out there talking about almost like the common man, right? We, we felt like that there was too much focus on the top end of the table, and then honestly, we felt like some of the ideas were wrong. We were like, you know, we, we can see that you're a good player and that you're from a strong meta. We just don't agree with what you're fucking saying. <laughs> right. So listen to how wrong we can be. That's right. Yeah. Listen to the dumb shit that we say. <laughs> and then, yeah, we started just kind of recording. Some people started listening, giving us a hard time, but also, you know, enjoying some of the stuff we were saying. And it just kind of grew from there. And we got a decent little following now. And John, you ended up joining us probably about, I don't know. 10 months ago. And then people actually and, started listening. Yeah, and then people were like, oh, you know, they got a real player on the cast now. And yeah, and here we are. 50 episodes in, strong. So on this episode for celebrating the 50th, we figured we couldn't do just a normal episode, so we decided to uh, put our normal topics on hold a little bit, and we actually got on our 50th episode, we got the man behind the myth, we got... The lore master supreme. Yeah, the master of lore, the creator of the dark universe of Guild Ball. We have Sherwin coming on and going to talk with us a little bit about the fluff and the game that a lot of us love and play. Woo! So, Chris, how did you bribe him to come on the podcast? I said, hey, do you want to come on the podcast? And he was like, sure, why not? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, he thinks I'm a friendly guy. You must have. I mean, you're you're pretty you're pretty friendly. You're just you know. He's probably got all the. Fluff. people that only listen to people that only listen to this don't think that. That's uh, true. He's probably got all his fluff <laughs> written for the next like for the rest of the year, and he's really bored now. Yeah, he's like, all right, I got a nice decent break. Let's go do something. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That's funny. But before before we get into this long conversation that we're gonna have with Sherwin, oh, we actually we actually wanted to talk about our get good segment. So it's get good time and getting good in guild balls, something that you can start to work on that will really help you start to improve in your game is being able to eyeball distances. 
And what I'm talking about is you can pre-measure in this game and there's nothing wrong with that. And people will put down, okay, let me see if I'm within eight inches of this model so I can charge it. Or let me pre-measure this so I can see if they're within range of my aura. And that's all fine and dandy. But I think you start to see skill level differences when you start to be able to eyeball those measurements. So that way you're not giving your opponent any information on what your game plan is going to be. And a good example of this is, like, let's say that I'm planning on basically attacking a model here and trying to kill it this turn. If I start pre-measuring to that model, that all of a sudden sets up alarms with my opponent that, hey, he's he's looking at this model, he's measuring distances. I need to now react to that and try to get that model out of there. So I think a new player, something you can start to work on is, you know, maybe try to eyeball some distances and then just check pre-measuring to see if you were right. Because the more information you can withhold from your opponent, the more you're going to catch them by surprise when you actually jump into action on whatever you're deciding to do that turn. Yeah. I kinda, so do you have any tips on how to do that accurately? Yeah. I, uh, so say something, I'm looking to like eight inches. I will, uh, you know, I'll get like the eight, eight if I'm looking at eight inches, I'll kind of get the stick out and try to not give it away. I'll just set it down off to the side and kind of like eyeball it over there, kind of go back to where I'm looking, eyeball it, kind of. Try to, you know, just eyeball, see how that it looks on the pitch and then see what eight inches look. Just kind of have a point of reference over there. Well, and I think something else new players don't know is that the line from the deployment zone to the center line is actually eight inches. On some mats. On most mats. <laughs> so at least that gives you an idea of rough distances. So that's a good way to kind of see, okay, is he getting close to, to me being able to engage him? Yeah, sure. And then another distance you can use is the distance from the goal to the deployment line is usually about four inches, right? So yeah, it's supposed to be. So those are a couple things you can use to help pre-measure without actually putting a widget on the table to give away information to your opponent. Right. And then if you do pre-measure something and it's not your turn, pre-measure like eight different things. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you... and, don't, and don't make it obvious. Like a lot of times, like my opponent will be... Don't trust John on that. Yeah. He's just trying to get you newbies to waste your time. And no, I, I said not during your activation. Yeah. Like, there's sometimes my opponent will be doing something. I'll just take out a six-inch widget. I'll just measure from one point to one point. I'll be like, I won't even say anything. And, yeah, it's just try to be nonchalant with it. Try to not do it as often. Or I guess you could use John's Gambit and just measure everything so they don't know what the hell you're doing. I do like to measure, like, some random-ass things. Like, oh, what, what if... Uh... Scott, the throws are cold snap over there. That's at the five O mascot. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I've done that plenty of times too, where I'm just like, Hey, I'm just going to measure this to this. Just see what's over here. Oh, okay. That's about that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, but just seeing it, you know, I mean, you're right. It's, it's kind of like everything else we go about. It just reps, reps, reps. I mean, the more you see it, the more, you know, we kind of, I feel like after I've been playing for so long, when I go to get into melee with somebody, I just kind of set a model down at one inch and, and then I just put my little widget in there. Like it's al- it's almost always you know balls on it an inch. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It's just from doing yeah, it so over much. Over time, getting reps in that definitely helps. The, I'll tell you who the wizard is at getting eyeball measurements, and I've never seen him be wrong. Is Andy? Okay, so Andy Andy is an older guy that wears these Coke bottle thick glasses, <laughs> and very funny guy. Imagine a guy that's always like, always got a dip in his lip, 
Well, wasn't he like a? Didn't he work for the post office? Yeah, he still does. Okay, so he still works for the post office, and I've seen him eyeball measurements and be like, "That's seven inches," and we're talking like he is spot on. I've never seen him miss one. I, yeah, yeah. So there has at been this point, I don't I was, even question him. Yeah, I was playing him a bunch, and yeah, I'd be like, "Well, I'm going to see if I'm within, you know, eight inches," and he's like, "Nah, you're out." And sure enough, most times I was out. So yeah, yeah so, he, he, some people. We should have really got him off for some tips. <laughs> yeah. Right. He's got some well, pre some lines drawn in those cook bottle glasses you're talking about. He can't see. Yeah, I, I, I guess, and it's amazing because like he can't paint his own model, so he always has to give him to Pete. So his eyes aren't good enough to paint, but his eyes are good enough to know if it's an inch or half inch or any of that kind of stuff in between. Yeah, it's just I I think the main thing is just repetitions, just getting used to the moving your models around the pitch, trying to feel kind of like how far away your models are. And that's another thing, like a lot of people like to, and sometimes this will bite me in the ass, but sometimes it doesn't. A lot of people will pre-measure threat ranges from their opponents. So let's say I know I'm like, I don't know, let's just say I'm 10 inches away from Hammer to stay out of his threat. Sometimes I don't measure that because I don't want to give my opponent the idea of taking into my model. So I think sometimes when you pre-measure threat ranges of your opponent's, Sometimes that gives him ideas on, oh, he, he wants me to stay away from that model. Well, let me find a way to extend my range and go get that model. Right. So measure everything. Well, and one other thing I wanted to mention that I think helps new players a little bit is remember a small base is a hair above an inch. Um, about an inch and a quarter, am I correct? Is that what 30 millimeters is? A little yeah, less. Somewhere around there. I'm, somewhere around there. I'm not math in this And out. then... A 50 millimeter base is just under two inches. So that's another good thing to be aware of is if you're like, well, if I'm two inches away, right, and and that happens all the time, someone has a two inch melee, you know that your 50 millimeter base, depending on the model, of course, can fit through that, that it's 1.9 inches. And so knowing the sizes of those bases oftentimes is very helpful because you realize, okay, this is a little bit more than an inch. He's an inch from that wall, and I know I can't fit through there because he's an inch from the wall, and my base itself is a little bit more than an inch. Yeah. And then you don't have to be measuring that kind of stuff, and you are able to process it in your head a little bit more. Yeah, and like I said, the more you play, the more you'll kind of get there. Uh, Another thing is just getting used to being like, within an inch of cover or, you know, getting in your one and two inch melee reaches. A lot of times it like you can measure those out, but most of the time I'm just going to position the model where I want them. And, you know, it'll be an inch or two inches just because I'm used to eyeballing that amount. And there's no real benefit to that. It's just that it's quicker sometimes than always busting out your widgets. Yeah. I I think, I think kind of the last and the biggest thing with it is always being deliberate of where you place your models. Like, you know, yes. you kind of get in those lazy games. You're like, oh, well, I'm just going to move over here and do this. Well, you kind of need to be deliberative. Are you in cover? Are you out of this threat range? Or do you have a threat range for the next activation for the model you want to go after maybe next turn? You know, are you within pass range? Are you within a snapshot range? Kind of being deliberate and taking all of those measurements into account when you put put your model where you want to uh, put your model. Yeah, and a good example of that is there are times where you don't want to be in cover, right? There there are models that benefit from you being in cover in this game. So intentionally being like, 
okay, I'm outside of one inch of cover because I know mist likes to hit people in cover. So it's just like you said, John, you got to be deliberate and there should be a reason why you're moving models to a certain position on the board. And I'm a big believer in stating one's intentions. Yes, you are. We know. So, we know. You know, state your intentions and then that way <laughs> there's less dispute. And it, it's a good thing to, I mean, this comes down to where you don't have to pre-measure is if you know that someone's deployment line and midfield are eight inches apart and you ask them, are you on the line? And they say, yeah, then you know that if your model is on the line at that midline that you're eight inches from them. Yep. And then in the in the future, when you want to charge them and you know you can go eight inches, you're like, you said your model was on the line, and mine's on the line right now, and I'm charging. Right, that's only well, if you're directly in a yeah, direct line. Yeah, I was going to say, if yeah. you're not at any angle I, whatsoever. I, I understand that, and I don't think anyone's thinking that they can go from, like, the side of the pitch to the middle. I mean, actually, but, technically, too, like an inch or two from not being directly in front of each other would be over eight inches. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I understand yeah, that. that. Like, but I'm, I'm saying it's a good example of where... those situations occur right right? where you're are you on this line okay and then you're able to line up somebody you know that's directly across from them or whatever it is well fantastic hope you guys are getting good hope this is helping out a lot of the new players um yeah because we just want you guys to uh want you guys to get good keep improving keep getting games in yeah just keep getting games in come to Asheville get games in (laughs) <laughs> and just so people know, we are recording this episode a little early on the front end, and we are going to pick the best conversions from our last episode, but we're going to pick those on episode 51. So you still have another week, essentially, to show us the conversions, and we'll pick the best conversions that we liked that people shared with us on Facebook and uh, Twitter. So, uh, John, I guess uh, one question for you is... Do you even read the fluff? Do you uh, even know how to read? I don't know how to read. I have a degree. I have two degrees. How do you expect them to read if they can't even fit in the building? Look, yeah. <laughs> I read I read the thing on Edge the other day just because I wanted to see if there was any clues of what I was getting in the Hunters. There you go. And did you find out anything? No. Do you remember any of the fluff? Uh, something about the Scotha's sister and it was cold or something and there were some trees. I don't know. Okay, yeah, I think that you're probably going to embarrass us with Sherwin, so we're going to kick you the hell out of here. Just give us some cards. I just need some cards. I read cards. So you want us to convince Sherwin to share a card with us, but you don't care about the fluff. Wow, you're an asshole. (laughs) One day. One day I want to read it. Just get it in a big book and I'll just read all of it in one time, maybe. There you go. Okay, well, we want Sherwin to come back, so we're kicking you out of here, John. Bye. have fun. (laughs) All right. All right, so we're going to get into our interview, Chris. And Yeah, we- so now that we got John out of here, <laughs> we have freed up the space to bring on the Lore Master Supreme, the greatest serial killer in the free cities, and the owner of a very impressive beard, the one and only Sherwin. Hey, guys. Only one name needed. <laughs> I mean, the impressive beard is gone now. I've totally trimmed that down for the winter because, obviously, yeah, it's getting cold, so I couldn't have a big beard, apparently. Yeah, I thought that's when you'd want a big beard. Uh, it's true hipster style, man. I just can't seem to <laughs> okay. keep it that way. All right. Yeah, so so we made room, got John out of here. He's not a, a believer in the fluff, so we we didn't want to sully your good uh, good name and you know insult you with his presence. Fair enough. I mean, <laughs> yeah, 
I, I've heard people don't like the stories. I mean, they're dead to me anyway, so that's fine. That's uh, just what it is. <laughs> so, interestingly enough, I mean, that's kind of like, you know, you're, these are your babies, right? These stories. And how do you feel when people are like, I don't care about the background. I just like the game. That's cool. I mean, that's that's pretty much... You know, I've never wanted to force that aspect of the game on anybody, right? If their thing is they would much rather kind of just play the game mechanically and, you know, be soulless robots, that's cool too. Um, <laughs> no, in all seriousness, that that's fine. I mean, it depends what type of gamer you are, I guess, man. Like, if you're one of those people who the pure mechanics of the game kind of is what interests you and keeps you playing, cool. You know, that's, you know, the Guild Ball or any game, I'm 100% sure, has the capacity to keep those people entertained. Some people kind of always want to build around themes like the amount of people i've talked to kind of go well you know i i don't want to build this team or this team because that person would never meet this person because they're dead or because you know that's not how it works that's cool too it's it's ultimately playing games is whatever you want to make of it right so have you always been someone that's interested in that lore aspect when you played games other other game systems before steamforge was ever around was that always the thing that brought you into a team or a faction yeah, I think so. Um, the interesting part for me is I'm I'm very much the uh, the gamer who likes to have a theme around what they're doing. So I like yeah, if I'm going to paint a whole bunch of models on the table, I have to really get into the theme of who those characters are, what they're doing, whatever game I'm playing. Um, and Guild Boy is no different, unsurprisingly. I have to really get into the theme of you know what I'm, how I want this team to look, you know, uh, who they are in my head, kind of you know what the characters are, that sort of stuff. And it also influences what type of teams or what type of armies you play as well. Like, I, I don't think I could ever play a straight out and out good guys team uh, because that's just not really who I am. But at the same time, like I, I don't know. I think there's always too much extra depth for there for me to ignore it. You know. Yeah, and I like the the background really brought me into it. Plus, it is a clean game, and. I really get into painting a faction more when I come up with a cool theme. Like for my hunters, I painted them like night elves from World of Warcraft. And then for my union team that I'm painting up, I got half of them like the natives. And then I have the other half like the dead rabbits from Gangs of New York. So I definitely understand what you're saying because that really gets my creative juices flowing when I can get a cool theme behind it. Yeah, I found... I find for me it's all burst, right? Like, I remember SteamCon in the US last year. I, I kind of thought, okay, I'm taking my order to the event. I'm taking my order to the event. And then the weekend before, suddenly went, I could paint my Falconers and I could do them this way. And that immediately meant that, <laughs> yeah, weekend, just blast through, <laughs> get the models done. Um, so, yeah. So, you've been with SteamForge basically since the beginning, right? Uh, yeah, it's, I, I've been writing since before the Kickstarter for SteamForge. Uh, although... It has a full-time, I think, just before Gen Con 2016, I'm going to say. I think that's right. Like Before that, I was freelance kind of stuff. Okay. And when you look at the... You've created this, you know, dark... I would even say grim, dark type world for the free cities and, and in the world of Guild Ball. And so where do you take a lot of your inspirations as far as writing who who do you read a lot of uh what tell us a little bit more about about that side of what got you started with the world that you were going to create for guild ball do you know so i was i I was at the time uh i met matt matt hart uh i was i'd wrote a few things that appeared in short story anthologies uh, a couple bits and pieces out there uh, a couple of articles here and there 
and I genuinely found myself at a bit of a loose end in terms of what I was wanted to write next. And that happened to coincide with this guy I met who just moved back to our, our local gaming club um, called Matt, who had told me this great idea he had for a Kickstarter. It was going to be called Guild Ball. And he kind of very excitedly told me about it as we sort of sat down. And it sounded kind of cool, so I went, well, you know, I, I'm kind of at a loose end right now. I've wrote a few bits and pieces. You know, I can have a shot, start writing some of the lore for you if you want. And he kind of went, well, all right. Well, we had a quick chat about who our favourite authors were and roughly what feel he wanted for the universe and kind of how he saw a few things. And at that point, I kind of went away. I wrote a story called Match Day, which appeared as the very first story in Guild Ball Season 1. It's where a certain pirate gets maimed by a certain butcher. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's one of your your shining moments. It means I smashed it out of the park early then, uh, because that's literally the first piece of Guildhall literature there ever was. And awesome. um, yeah, I, I, sort I of... I've been waiting for another moment that hits that pinnacle again. Oh, okay, so that, that's unfortunate <laughs> when you say that after four after four seasons. No, but... I, I I just need to know that Ox needs to chop off more legs. Well, so <laughs> I I think a similar moment for me was when. I, I was a big Brewers guy, and when Hooper smashes Grayscale's like knees mm. in, that was pretty good for me. <laughs> yeah, lovable rogue. Smashing the fingers, yeah. all of that stuff. Yeah, like no, you've you've had a lot of them. Obviously, that's just my favorite because I'm a sucker for the butchers. But that's fair. I mean, it's um, we had. I mean, that 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 kind of came out just to quickly finish that off, and, and Matt loved it basically, and from that point said, you know what, I want you to write every, everything else for this season and going forward, and. Uh, yeah, true to his word, that's exactly what happened. Uh, we stuck with that, and um, yeah, we pretty much went from there. It's interesting, because Match Day wasn't chronologically, although it appears first in the Season 1 book, it wasn't supposed to be the first story. Uh, there was a set, there was a prequel, uh, sorry, a, pre- a prologue even, put my teeth back in, uh, story which I don't think it actually properly made it. It made it as a heavily edited version into the book, uh, a couple of chapters hmm. in. But uh, that had a very different intro to Corsair. Uh, in my head, he was a very different character. Because Corsair is Corsair was a character who I created purely for the purpose of demonstrating this is Guild Ball and you, know, you can just lop off someone's leg or whatever <laughs> else. We never had this image when we first made Corsair that this is going to be the other fish captain or this is even going to be a player that sticks around for any time at all. Yeah. So imagine my surprise when Matt went, we're going to make Corsair into a playable character. What do you think? I'm like, well, he's got one leg, man, but okay. <laughs> Which sure. Chris argues, how does a one-legged pirate have a 4-8 kick in the game? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, even if you want him to have a 4-8 kick, because he has one leg, he should at least have a 2-8 kick. Yeah, I mean, that just makes sense. I always envision that he like drives the peg into the ground and then kicks and spins around on that peg leg like a sort of turning <laughs> As he kicks it, yeah. Almost that sort of comic kind of comic book character just spinning around on a pirouette kind of thing. That's awesome. Now I want that to be like a limited edition model of like him on the one peg leg spinning. Kicking, yeah. <laughs> be hilarious. Oh, you, um, you could convert any model to do that, all right? There you go. Oh yeah. I, I, I guess. I, I don't I don't have those green stuff skills there you go. to be able to convert Corsair that way. Um so you were saying a little bit about like some of your inspirations for the writing and obviously you know who who are the authors that you're reading a lot like when people read your stuff and they like it who would you recommend that they also read as far as picking up books novels those types of things oh do you know that's that's tough mostly because i think i've obviously read an awful lot of literature over the years i'm old unfortunately but at the same time i've really liked jabba crombie's the obvious one that was a real 
Matt and I both at the time I I'd read the blade itself um, not long before I actually spoke to Matt. I was a bit late on the take up on that and was blown away by it. And uh, that was definitely a big influence for what we had. Um, so I definitely recommend anything by Joe Abercrombie. Otherwise, I mean, a lot of people sort of keep referencing George R. R. Martin, but here's the thing: like I found myself, I don't know, probably about ten years ago now, I suddenly got incredibly bored with fantasy literature, um, and it's generally because I. I just felt it was really formulaic. You had kind of, oh, here's the here's the young kid who kind of you know is is destined to you know pull the sword out of the stone or ride the dragon or marry the princess or save the kingdom that sort of stuff. And and basically it's geek porn. It's basically there for the kids to kind of go, yeah, I'm bullied at school and I'm not popular, but if I read this book, I could be like you know little Johnny and be a hero. And it just <laughs> it just sucks, man. Like it, I I remember reading it and just thinking this is not what I want to read. I want something that's edgy. I want something that's going to push the boundaries. Yeah, it's, like the, it's like the same shit over and over again. Yeah, and so George R. R. Martin was amazing. I remember someone saying, oh, you've got to read Game of Thrones. It's really good. This is way, way, way back when. And I went, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll have a read. You know, not expecting much of it. And then immediately fell in love with this universe where they rejected magic and they rejected a lot of the fantasy elements and just made this quite dark universe, which was actually all about kind of politics and i love that and that's one of the main reasons why as the series has gone on i've thoroughly fallen out of love with it uh because all of those elements are just creeping back in again yeah um yeah so is that a very specific choice you've made with the universe to kind of keep magic out of this kind of world that you've built with guild ball so for me, for magic, a lot of what I've I've taken was inspired by um, a very old author that not many people will probably remember, uh, called Catherine Kerr, or named I should say Catherine Kerr, and she had a universe where magic isn't a case of drawing fireball, flying fireballs out of your fingertips and into someone else and bursting them into flames, that sort of stuff. It's a lot of it is kind of stuff where a character will cast a spell or do whatever it is they do. And everyone else around them wouldn't actually know it was magic unless it's, you know, unless, yeah, there's no kupuf and like burst of lightning or any sort of pyrotechnics. It literally is just more of an influence kind of thing. And mm -hmm. I, I always found that a very elegant way of kind of approaching magic in any universe. Yeah, and there was a show that I used to watch when I was younger, and it was called Merlin. And I don't know if either of you have ever watched that, but it was kind yeah, of. Yeah, with Sam Neill. Yeah, it was kind of very same thing where, like, you know, this young Merlin didn't have these big explosive spells. It would just be like he could trip somebody or he could cause some kind of effect and nobody would know really where it came from. Mm. Yeah, so exactly. It a soft touch. Mm. And okay. I think the important thing is is that people ultimately can come to their own conclusions, right? So, yeah. for example, we have we have a lot of interplay between the Ghast character and Scalpel, or more precisely, Ghast Shade. Um, you know, is Scalpel literally just absolutely insane and has lost the plot completely and is talking to herself, or is she genuinely seeing a ghost? We don't know. It's something where we've obviously bounced around a little bit. Okay, yeah, that's 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 pretty interesting. That perspective on it. So, this this world, and I, I'm sure that we've, as we look at this world, Steamforge has other games that are part of their properties, and there have been some people that have rumored that God Tier exists in the same world as Guild Ball. Can you put to rest whether or not that is true or not? Are they are they affiliated or are they two completely separate worlds? That's a great question. <laughs> yes. And, and, and you're leaving yourself open to answer it in the future. That's great. That's, that's what it is. That's what you're getting. Okay. okay. <laughs> okay. Well, um, 
in, until that does get officially answered, I'm going to say that God Tier exists pre-Guild Ball, and the magic has kind of died, and then we have the world of Guild Ball. I, that's, I'm, that's how I'm going to I'm going to articulate it to people. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to say, imagine, right, if there was a Rangosh uh, model that played for Butchers. That'd be awesome. Exactly, right? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm for. Approve. Um, <laughs> Almost like a prehistoric Guild Ball world. Is that what you're imagining? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure. Well, at least to where those things exist. But, um, okay, so let's get into the way that these characters get created. I know that in the past I've spoken to you about how there's kind of these four elements of the creative team. There's what you do, which is writing that story. There's what Jamie Perkins does, which is creating the gameplay, the, the actual stats and cards and um, all of that. And then there's the art side of things and the modeling side of things. Mm. And so how does it work? How does a character come to be? When you want to come up with an idea, who's the one that triggers that? Uh, how does how does that start? Okay, so that's always triggered by these guys called marketing. And uh, no, I'm joking. Uh, so, so <laughs> they do polling they find out what's going to play to the most people and just make it generic yeah i got it. no yeah okay no, no, where, also, where, where do we go it depends um it depends what character honestly you're looking at some of our characters have been yeah the birth of some of our characters has honestly been kind of more from uh, a law perspective and it'd be me talking to some of the guys and going oh guys it'd be incredible if we could push this character in this direction uh yeah some of it is going to be um based around uh jamie and the other guys going okay so we have a character we want them to do x y or z uh who could this be and then approaching us after that and it could also be kind of doug or russ uh, doug's our art guy uh basically coming up with something fun which they think works and then going from there often it's basically a collaborate it's completely a collaborative effort before too long the genesis comes from one direction i mean a couple of stories um so for example uh the obvious one that I can always, I always go to when I'm talking about something that I've influenced is is Veteran Catalyst, purely because we knew that we had to have, um, we knew we had to have like a character. Well, well, the discussion was we want to have a new version of Catalyst. Um, we want to have a new big guy on the team, and how do you know any ideas as to what you'd make that? I'm like, yeah, let's make it like Veteran Catalyst. Like he's taken so much of the elixir, he just hulks out. And just turns into this uncontrollable kind of you know monster that just literally it, it's no more he's no more human now he's just this ravenous beast, and at that point of course it's like okay right so that's what we're doing and then the rules and so on get written to reflect that so that's where we start having stuff where he's got the deteriorating rule and kind of you know he's built into this basically rage monster, um, and of course then the flip side to that is where you have a character, well. So one of Russ's ones uh, is, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying this, was Season Spigot. So Season Spigot came into existence because at some point, Russ, who's a big butchers player, decided he was going to make a new version of Spigot. Um, I don't know why he decided to do that, but he did. And then subsequently snuck it onto um, a bunch of uh, renders that he sent over to us at SteamCon, not last year, year before, um, when we were setting up the keynote. So of course... There's Matt and Locks and the other guys all putting all the slides together, the keynotes and stuff. And Spigot and Spigot goes on there because we didn't pay yeah, you know, we're just putting them all on there. It's yeah, you know, we've all been at the con for a few days. We haven't had much sleep and I'm pretty sure a couple of them are still drunk. And we're gonna, we're, we're uploading all this stuff onto the thing and then suddenly we're sitting there, we're doing the keynote, Matt clicks the button, or Rich, I forget who, and it goes over and Spigot appears on the screen. And you literally if you were there, you probably remember this. Matt turns around and goes, Huh. 
Season spigot, everyone. And that's like, and, and if you were to there to see the faces of the whole dev team, we're all like, really? That's a thing. Like, yeah, this kind of real moment of, well, I guess season spigot's here now. It looks like he plays for the church. Um, that's literally kind of, you know, Russ knuckled that one past the rest of us. But, um, nice. Yeah, that, and you figured I better get to my writing table. I need a story now. <laughs> I tell you, I had that changed the direction of where the spigot character was going over. Well, literally in a moment, uh, we had ideas of what spigot was doing. It wasn't a drastically different place to where he is now, um, but a different player would have been leaving the guild. Yeah, and, and there's your, actually oh, there's your spoiler if you wanted one. Well, there's your uh, exclusive. <laughs> And real quick, going back to Vet Catalyst, though. So when the Rat Catchers were decided to become a minor guild and you had Scourge, which those of you that haven't read up on the Rat Catchers fluff, Scourge is kind of like this character that kind of, you know, really emulates and wants to be like Catalyst. So he started eating these rats instead of chemicals and he became this like pestilent kind of hulked out monster. So was that more you trying to relate the models to the fluff or was that you writing the fluff and then him becoming a model huh, joe that's jamie saying i've got this great idea guys we're gonna yeah. make uh, he was like joe they're all about the gains guys yeah we're gonna do one of those but his only protein <laughs> he's got is rats how's that sound and we're like yeah sure jamie that sounds kind of fun uh honestly that, that's i did i did love that story you made for scourge that's one of my favorite rat catcher stories oh okay that's cool i um yeah that's that's all jamie that one like and nice. this is the thing we all kind of influence each other right? we all bounce different ideas off of off of each other like a, a whole bunch of writing stuff that people kind of go, oh showing like you this incredible like the end to the ghast uh story in the free cities draft for example mm-hmm. that that last uh, that last sort of paragraph or so was a lot of it was bryce we had the idea of what we wanted to do and then I sort of fired it off to Bryce to have a quick look at it. Say, hey, I'm not 100% sure about this end. What do you think? And he kind of wrote this incredible bit. And I was like, you know what? That's what we're doing. And that's that's it. So we're all quite collaborative these days. We all work hand in hand. Nice. That's awesome. So one one model that I've always kind of wondered about is the Harmony model. Mm. Because that one is so interesting. You have a, a original version that is got the linked with honor these two close sisters these two close sisters and then the vet version they wanted to dial her up and she's got animosity and so i've always wondered is that a model that you wrote intending she's going to make this turn in the story so they knew that they were going to have to release a vet version that had that animosity aspect or was that one where they were like you know what we want to tweak this model we want a vet version that does different things is a little bit more independent and you said hey i have to adapt the story to to make that work which way did that one go so vet harmony was an interesting one in the sense that i i certainly had no real dramatic part in that a lot of that is game design uh, pushing that one I, I believe and don't quote me on this because i maybe i'll be wrong that the main focus of that was we wanted to have a because honor kind of has her version of harmony i think the reason the idea was that we would give hammer his version of harmony as well and okay. obviously because of the way that the unique way that you have uh, the interaction between the two sisters that we definitely wanted it not to be the case that honor would kind of uh, benefit from how the new harmony played so we sort of built in an animosity part there and a lot part of that, therefore, kind of had pre-coded story for the time I got it. It's like, okay, we have to engineer a falling out between the two. Uh, but okay. because we'd already had a fair bit of animosity anyway, it wasn't too difficult to push. 
But I'm afraid I, I can't take credit for that one. That was uh, purely design, I believe. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've always wondered, like, so with with those types of models, like, was that was that hey, we needed an adjustment in the game, or mm. you always had a vision? Because that played out very seamlessly. Like that new model is a great addition and a great foil to the other and then the story it, it just made sense so i thought it was pretty seamless but i was like how far in advance did they plan all of this back in the kickstarter when you were releasing those original models i i always just wondered uh well actually some of the stuff it depends on the individual characters i think one of the characters we always knew when they went to a veteran version although we didn't obviously have the name veteran at that point uh was spigot uh, we always knew that Spigot's version would be that he was going to turn it all around and go back to being a football legend. Um, there is a there's a soccer, as you guys would say, a soccer player named Paul Gascoigne, uh, who you probably never heard of, but he's basically the uh, the inspiration for Spigot. Um, hmm. He's this he was the, or he is this guy who was an incredible footballer, the most incredible natural footballer I think England has ever produced, and was truly incredible and then basically went to the point where he just fell completely off the rails thanks to just fairly <laughs> rampant alcoholism and everything else and never quite reclaimed his previous glories but he played with so much passion that it was impossible not to love the guy and we kind of had this idea with Spigot when I was looking at him he's got the football legends ability and everything else went Joe you know what let's make him where Paul Gascoigne is now and then when we go forward in the future we'll invert it so actually, he used to be this incredible footballer. He's fallen off the wagon, and we'll actually give him a salvation story. We'll turn it around. Like he can actually reclaim his previous glories when we go forward into a new veteran version. So lo and behold, that's exactly what we got. Yeah, and something I think is really amazing with the fluff in the background of the Guild Ball game and the and the fluff is just that you seem to write very seamless, like the character plays of a model that they have seems to show up in the fluff very seamlessly like when you like for example the example the example i'm thinking of is in season three you had thresher and he ended up dying because i think it was mainspring ended up blowing up after he got hit right Mm. and that's one of the rules that that model has in the game so i think you do a very very seamless and very great job on just taking what the model does in game and then also just putting that into the fluff. So when we play this game, we can definitely imagine this is what it looks like while this is, you know, developing on the pitch. So I mean, one of the um, one of my personal bugbears, I think, is I mean, thank you, that's very kind of you to say. One of my um, one of my personal bugbears I always have is there's a, a certain space game out there, which has these <laughs> giant marine type guys who run around mm. and. <laughs> and here's the thing like if you read the stories about these guys they literally walk into a room kill 100 dudes in a minute and then pretty much carry on going without breaking a sweat like you could yeah. drop 10 of them on a planet and within 24 hours they've subjugated the entire place however in the game yeah that someone points at them like with a gun which basically looks like a kid's toy with a light bulb on the end and they fall over dead um <laughs> and i kind of just the divorce is too much for me. Like I, I get it. Obviously, the idea is in that particular instance, the Marine has had his arm or leg blown off and can't carry on fighting. They're not necessarily dead. but And it's obviously going to be an abstraction. But I think the important thing we've, we've always tried to get to with the sculpts, with the rules, with the, with the lore, with the artwork, is always try to create a very cohesive um, approach to Guild Ball. We don't ever want to have something where the model feels so completely divorced from its story or its rules don't feel like it's something it can actually do in the story yeah. or whatever else. 
And that's one of the reasons what? why Venin is portrayed as being so incompetent as an assassin. He's not an assassin. <laughs> he's just this mouthy kid who thinks he can do it. Yeah. So one of the things that I think that you've done that is just brilliant with, in regards to this is there are so many game systems where when you look at their lore, they never kill anyone, but the game is all about killing, right? So so there's this irony to it that like no one ever dies in the in the lore, but on the table people die all the time. Mm. One of the things that I think you've done that's just brilliant, and maybe it's game design, maybe it's you, the aspect of, well, we need to clear room to make other new models and new characters to keep these stories going, but we don't want to have the power creep. So how do we dispose of those other characters and in this case you're like well i'm gonna make the choice to kill them off in the in the in the fluff in the lore hmm. and it's a, it's this brilliant move at least from my perspective because it makes space for all these new characters without it seeming like you have to by default whittle down or boost up the other previous existing characters to make them perfectly balanced with the the future one yeah, sure, that makes sense. Um, I don't know, I'd, I'd actually say, I, I certainly can't take the credit for that one too much, because a lot of that is obviously us working together against a team and so on. But yeah. but I think for me, one of one of the things we said early on, and Matt and I established, was we want to be able to kill characters. I remember mm-hmm. reading some, and, and there are some incredible uh, authors out there writing game literature, uh, they really are, but... One of the things I've always found quite frustrating is is you have like this titanic clash between these two pe- these two individuals, and no matter how well written the piece is, no matter what the great you know it might have incredible tempo, you might be really invested in who the characters are, what the story is, whatever else, but you never have any real sense of threat to that story. You know, to that story, you never feel even if these two these two characters are locked in a life and death struggle, you never have that moment where you go, yeah, actually, one of them is these people is going to die. Like there's always something where that piece of armor turns away the blade at the last moment. Warfare engulfs them and drags them apart. You know, a magic spell teleports somebody miles away. We really wanted it to be the case that, yeah, if some lunatic is coming at you of a meat cleaver, you don't see him coming and you get it in the back of the skull, you are just dead. Yeah. Because that's how it works, right? Yeah, and I, I really gained an appreciation for that because I started reason, reading the season three fluff really heavy because I was getting into farmers and then we get into this farmer matchup and Thresher ends up getting his own, you know, scythe in his chest. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, well, <laughs> he's he's dead. He just this is a cool model that I just bought is dead. I don't know what to do with this. And at first I was I was kind you of mad until he gets nerfed. Well, well, at first I was kind of mad because I was like, well, why would they create this guild and have the character killed off so quickly? But then the story develops that I think Sure, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think you wanted to develop Grange as kind of the young captain who kind of takes control of the guild when the old man's gone. It's kind of the storyline I felt like came out of that. A lot of part of it is, I mean, that it's worth pointing out a lot of our Guildhall characters, most of the focus is always, we don't want those characters to be... You know, when a character dies in Guildhall, that doesn't necessarily mean the story is over. And in some cases, someone like Snakeskin, that is actually what it is. But the whole purpose of someone like Snakeskin is that they are just this sort of you know faceless assassin, literally, who who exists in the darkness. And when they die, no one really wants to remember them. But someone like yeah. Thresher, the death of Thresher is as much part of the genesis of the farmers and of Grange as if he was alive. If that makes sense, it's kind of his yeah. legacy, and that's why that character that that's what the arc was. Yeah, and. 
and once I got past the death of Thresher, I was kind of like, okay, I, there's some purpose behind this. And I, th- I think that helps people deal with it a little bit more <laughs> when a death happens to one of their characters that they like. Yeah, it's one of the things we talked about with season four is you really wanted everybody to kind of have that same sense of trepidation when reading it uh, that the characters would be feeling in the world. Like with season four, the big sense of that of that season is is that you know nothing is safe anymore. And I think we, well, I hope to say, but we definitely conveyed that to the readers. You know, season four is coming. Be afraid. Be very afraid. If you start reading about your favorite character, you probably start feeling nervous. Um, <laughs> I know that it's a death sentence whenever somebody tells Sherwin that who their favorite character is. Yeah. So I'm never going to tell him. I mean, Ox. No one, will, no one will ever guess. <laughs> hey, shut up, shut up. <laughs> I mean, Ox was rumored dead there for a while, so you didn't know. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. So when you look at some of the things that you have to do with the community, and you're mm. kind of spitballing, you you shared a story. Remind me of this story. You were trying to, you were coming up with some of the new minor guilds, and you were floating ideas out there. And at times, you guys got a very negative reaction to a guild, and it was kind of surprising to you. How do you guys just kind of adjust and anticipate those things with the community and and working with the community? Because you guys are so responsive. You know, it's. I, I think the one you're talking about is from the uh, the first design and model seminar we did. Uh, it wasn't a minor guild as such, although it was the genesis of the minor guilds. We didn't know it at the time, uh, which was the blacksmiths. And I remember we had this. Uh, so we for, we did the first designer model seminar, and we sat down and we asked everybody, "Hey, we're going to make a new model, and we're going to make it from a new guild. So, you know, what guild do you want to be?" And we wrote it around the entire room, and everyone held up their hand and voted for what guild they'd like it to be for and stuff. After we suggested some different ideas, and we had a list of about ten of them. And we started going through, and rat catchers are up there, obviously, uh, and I forget some of the others, um, but I know that blacksmiths were certainly on there. And we're kind of counting along, and you know, so Matt's standing there in front of everybody. Okay, so how many hands for like you know the rat catchers? Whole bunch of hands go up. How many hands for kind of you know, let's say the Millers? I don't know that was one, but the Millers Guild and so on, and working through the various different ones. And there's like how many the wrestlers? Hands- I know you want to write that. Sorry, uh, the the wrestlers. I know you want to write that. Totally, um, <laughs> really, really do. And, Ultimate Warrior it is. <laughs> oh, the Ultimate Warrior. Yes, yes, we can totally have him as a captain. But anyway, we um, so we get to as far as like... um, And then we get as far as the blacksmiths, and Matt goes, okay, how many for blacksmiths? Like, tumbleweed goes by. Like, nobody puts their hand up. And it's kind of me and Jamie sharing a look at each other going, huh, bearing in mind oh, at this point, blacksmiths have already been in development for months, and we know that they're coming as the next guild. And it was like, <laughs> well, that's interesting. Hopefully that will turn around. Um... But yeah, we knew as soon as to be honest, as soon as Doug started sharing out the artwork for the blacksmiths, we knew that we were on something special with those guys. So, okay, so so you re- so I, it sounds like your reaction to these is you expect that you're not always going to get a rave review with the idea, but you you trust in your development process enough to where you're going to stay the course and. You don't. It sounds like you're not really that worried about, you know, nerd rage or, you know, those types of things. Is that accurate to say? Uh, I mean, again, I I can only talk from my personal perspective. Um, I know that things, people kind of have different ideas about what exists in our universe and don't. And of course, it's it's entirely subjective. And the entertainers is probably the really obvious one, um, because they are 
I'm not going to say they're divisive because they're not, but they they definitely have come from a different perspective to where everybody else thought they would do. Um, everyone was expecting a circus guild or kind of you know a bunch of uh, mimes or whatever else, and they obviously don't fit into that bracket. And part of that reason is, I mean, we could do really sort of more obvious things, but the importance of what we put together is is really about. We've got a super strong idea visually. We've got a super strong idea mechanically. We know that when we release this stuff, everyone will like it. It's just a case of... I don't think there's any guild that we've released where there's been an immediate reaction of, oh, why did you guys do those guys? Like, There's always going to be some grumbles. It's the internet. It's how it works. Um, but most of it is generally people, just as far from my experience, have excitement about, hey, we really want to see what the next guild is. So I think with the Entertainers Guild, though... The real question is, is Kid Blackheart going to be a thing or not? Absolutely. Oh, um, thank God. Yes. Th- th- well, Hallelujah! Well, it's, whether it, he probably won't... Well, I can 100% sure you, assure you, he's probably not going to be called Kid Blackheart. But the, oh, concept, yeah. the concept of you know us making a Blackheart character who is obviously the actor and so on, um, being a younger actor, that, that, that's nothing wrong with that, I don't think, in terms of what it is. Ultimately... Yeah, whether the skin will change a little bit, the rules will change around, obviously. That was a lot of the stuff we just threw ideas at the wall and see what sticks. But the core concept isn't terrible. Um, and it certainly works. And that's. Well, and how happy were you from the improvement from the year before with the United States build a model? Do you know, I get in trouble for this because I, I, I generally, last couple of times I've been on a podcast, I've spoken my mind about this and I've had some backlash from people saying who weren't there, uh, saying, well, I can't believe you would say such a thing. It's like, well, honestly, this is just it. The, the thing that sucks the most about the creature which shall not be named was, okay. that, I like that. was that you guys didn't get a model as a result. And I think genuinely that the real sadness about it was is purely because the process, like there, there's a thing where you have to almost respect the process a little bit and understand what it is that we're having the opportunity to do which is interact with you guys which we like to do obviously is i think our narrative campaigns have kind of really shown and we know that there's real worth in the community and everyone loves to feel engaged and loves to feel like they're a big part of what it is uh, which is cool but some things just don't quite fit and honestly the uh, the creature which shall not be named was it was it was a fun room to be in and everyone was having everyone was enjoying themselves but at the same time it didn't really have and i think anybody who was in that room will probably agree with me in that what crawled out wasn't really the right thing uh for the game well i think it's good also to use as kind of like that example for future steam cons to be like if you guys go down this road you may yeah. not get a model that's <laughs> yeah fair. And, and and there's also that element where it's like i understand someone wanting to be silly and just have fun in the moment but you know what's more fun than that is actually getting a model that you can see it on the pitch right yeah mm-hmm. th- like that's way more fun than you know just goofing off in there so so yeah i i felt like i i sat in that design a model seminar this time around and i i thought it was a great experience i it really was. enjoyed seeing how you guys kind of worked and those times where you were talking a little bit about lore, lore with us and then jamie was on his computer tinkering with some of the stats well, i and- think my favorite thing though was sure when you were like you want to know what if you can get jamie to laugh it's probably going to end up on the card that's fair that's very very fair <laughs> Do you try to keep that in mind when you're writing stuff in the fluff? Be like, yeah, if I can get Jamie on board with this, this could be very funny. Yeah, <laughs> that's a thing. That's totally <laughs> a thing. So there, there was one more thing in, in kind of creating uh, 
in creating guilds and models that I wanted to hit. And then I want to talk to you about some of these narrative events because these have been mm -hmm. awesome. Uh, the thing that I wanted to ask you about was, one, do we ever anticipate the minor guilds superseding the major guilds and taking over almost like a team moving up in Premier League? Almost like style? a rage taking over kind of thing? No, no, no. I'm talking... Well, that could be how it works in the fluff, but I mean like a a minor team that is winning so much that they enter the premier league. Okay. That sort of, that sort of a movement. Do you ever anticipate any of that sort of thing creeping into fluff? Because I see all these brewers that you're killing and they've got another guild coming around the corner that I think could take, take their, their place. Yeah. Hmm. Um, you know, I'd never say never, but that's certainly not something I considered until literally now. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> And, and then the one last thing that I wanted to ask about creating guilds, and I, I wanted you to explain this because you gave me a great explanation for this, the best one that I've heard, is there was always rumor online or people that would chime in and they would request a, seam, a seamstress's guild. Mm. And, and Steamforge was never going to go down this road. But you gave a great explanation of why that's a dead-end road. Do you mind explaining like some of that thought process of why we're never going to end up seeing that? Well, there's a couple of different things. Depends what day you caught me, honestly. But I, th I think <laughs> the idea... We don't always have to represent every single guild in the game anyway. Uh, in terms of, yeah, we've had... Our Simtresses is one. Uh, messages is another one, which is the perennial kind of one we get asked for. Um, purely because I think for the sake of... The, honestly, in the case of, in the, case of the, the Simtresses guilds, I'm not sure what worth it adds to the actual game by putting them in there, if that makes sense. And it's also very restrictive design space as well, uh, I imagine. Obviously, I'm, I'm not talking for Jamie and Bryce when I say this, but I imagine that's fairly true. There's only so many variations on kind of, you know, lure or seduced or, you know, insert whatever other ones we have here that sort of vaguely fit. I, I don't know how much you could build an entire structure of a guild around it. Um, in terms of the actual narrative, I don't know I'd want to create a guild where a lot of it is based on sort of or can be based on exploitation as well. It, it feels like a very dark place to write from. And and as we know, Guildball has gone into very dark places with the stories and so on, but but even so, that feels like a whole guild built around that. I'm not so sure. Hmm. And hopefully that's the answer that I gave you at Steamcon you were looking for. If not, that, feel free that, to remind that is, me. That is what you gave me, and I think that I think that it's important to kind of acknowledge that is um, not only are will people argue that it's kind of in bad taste, but I think that the from a development standpoint, you it really isn't an idea that gives you a lot of new versions of play. Like mm. we we already have Siren. She mm. exists and she basically is able to do those things. Pelage already exists. And so I I, I like that explanation. I appreciate you sharing that with everyone that's that's now listening. No worries. So let's talk about these narrative events. Uh you, you We've done three narrative events now. Yeah, uh, three, like yeah. Three. Butcher, Civil, Butcher Civil War. Uh, we went up to Union Chains, and then obviously we just done the Free Cities Draft. And it seems like each narrative event, you guys have dialed in it being more and more interactive. There's more asked of the community each time. It, it, I'm guessing that's intentional. Yeah, absolutely. the The thing that we've always tried to push ourselves with, I mean, obviously Butcher Civil War was somewhat of an experiment. We wanted to see. It all came out of um, of an old Games Workshop thing they uh, they did, and I forget the name of what it was now. It's something to do with I think like it was the, the 
it was like the Eye of Terror. Yeah, Chaos Invasion of some description. And yeah. I remember what sucked about that was you played in it and it made zero difference in the story despite the whole promise of, oh yeah, it's going to be incredible. You get to influence what happens. And yep, no one actually, right. no one walked away from that going, wow, I really feel like I was involved in that. It was just a big kind of mocking thing. Yeah, I think that one was actually the Dark Crusader. Mm. Was, yeah, and they had like the feral like... Uh, space wolves and yeah there was a bunch of other things that never came about of it you're right yeah and we kind of wanted to build something which actually would make a difference so that's where the butcher civil war came from and we had so much fun doing that people really engaged with it quite a lot to the point where we went you know what let's do it again and it also gave us a nice way um, i touched on this a little bit in the seminars last year um, at SteamCon, but union chains which was the progression from that gave us a nice way to kind of let everybody were involved because obviously all of the guilds suddenly can now compete in this thing but it also gave us this great way of ending up a story which excuse me was going to be existing anyway um but it was going to be in season four and we kind of went, well actually let's just bookend this thing here we can grab hold of what that is but we can give it much more time to develop and kind of build it up a lot more because that's there's pretty much a season's worth of material in the union chains book in the union chains event um and we could really build that all around just that one event and we can sort of really explore that properly because we are ultimately thematically killing a team here like, that's exactly what you know union chains was and the idea was we could really build around what that is or we can give these characters the proper send-off they want or you know the proper kind of you know epilogue or whatever else built towards where we need to be and it lets us tie off a lot of loose ends and when we went into kind of free cities draft we kind of sat there and went huh well, we're screwed ourselves now because that was pretty big. What do we do to go on from there? <laughs> and um, as most of you who have actually spent any time chatting to me about it, Free uh, Siege Draft was the brainchild of Matt and I. We were having a chat. I was trying to explain to Matt, who's not really a big NFL guy, about how exciting Draft Day was. Um, and ultimately ended up settling on, I'll just go watch the movie. It's fine. You'll get an idea. And kind wait, of, wait, you sold him on this program by making him watch a Kevin Costner movie? No, Matt, Matt trusts me enough to know that if, <laughs> if we have an idea, then he's like, yeah, that's probably going to work. That seems cool. We've kind of bounced some ideas around. But that was definitely the genesis of what we were talking about, was this idea of, hey, how about we have a Guild Ball draft? Because the thing that we constantly kept seeing like you know, and from feedback, and this kind of ties into what you were saying before, was... I remember going to an event and being told by this guy who followed me around, who was just going, oh, but I think this should be this way in the team. Oh, I think the team needs one of these things. Like, Oh, I th that typical guy who kind of finds a Steamforged staffer and kind of goes, I'm going to talk at you now because I think that's the best way to achieve what I want. And um, he kind of followed yeah, me. Yeah, make like, a podcast for that, guys. Jeez, get it together. <laughs> and he kind of went, yeah, I really want this thing. I really want this thing. I really think this player should have this. And there was a few people who kind of chimed in about this conversation. And I kind of brought up this, this core concepts we had, which was, okay, so let's start off with this then. So you guys play the teams. You, you tell us you know who you want your team to be or what you want the team needs. So go make it happen. Here's a choice of all these different positions. It's up to you now. You can choose. You can be the coaches. You can be the people who make the decision of where everybody goes. And that's kind of really where we started off as a starting point. And we very quickly worked out through the various different formats we sort of spitballed around our head, that we could actually turn this into this really cool event, which I think Free Cities Draft surpassed everybody's expectations. It was huge. Yeah, and it was kind of weird, though, because I think some of the competitive players, and obviously that includes a lot of the podcasters, didn't really get into this event that much. Mm. But I think that that speaks loudly that it was more successful than Union and Chains. And I think that's why 
Chris, John, and I try to focus not just on competitive guild ball mm. because I think it blows some competitive players' minds that, hey, there are people that play this game just for fun in the fluff. Hmm. And that's a big part of it, right? Some people dislike having uh, just a goddamn good time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we were t- we, one of the big concerns we had about Uni- about um, Free Cities Draft was I remember a very stark conversation with a couple of the guys and saying uh, in the run-up, and they're going, right, but no one knows what these guys do. All they've got is a is a piece of artwork about, oh, a headshot, and uh, even worse, and a name and like a little bit of blurb that you wrote on the stuff. It doesn't really say any abilities. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then this guy's like, this will not work. This this is destined to fail. Like, what well, do we have a plan for what happens if people just don't have any interest in this plan? I'm like, trust me, it will be fine. I have faith in the community. They're going to love this stuff. And they're like, yeah. oh, okay, maybe. And lo and behold, it works. I mean, I didn't think it would be as successful as it was, but all good. I mean, I'm not going to complain. I had a great time playing in it and talking to people about it and stuff. And I think from the competitive standpoint... I think a long way of looking at it is going, well, yeah, there's nothing for me immediately, but in future I have something because my team is going to get a player, and if I want a striker, I better put my games in now. Yeah. Or so that was something that I, I... I'll tell you what, you definitely captured that draft day excitement for me because leading up to it, I was definitely paying attention to who looks like they're going to be drafted where. Mm. And I was looking, and then on the day of, I was tuning in. I was like, who are we going to get? You know, like it was definitely like draft day for me, an NFL draft day. But yeah, the draft day, like I didn't get too much into the buildup and the playing of the games this year. Mm. But I can tell you that draft day mentality, that was still pretty cool to see, even though I wasn't that involved with putting in the actual games for it. It was still pretty cool. So what were some of the draft day surprises that you trusted the community to come up with that you were like, wow, that's really, really shocking? Uh, so the number one, the biggest thing, and I, I said this right at the start, uh, I said, I'm pretty sure I know where at least one of them is going because they had such a massive turnout the year before to get Decimate, was I was so sure that Amber was going to go back to Brewers. So, so, so sure. And that got blown out of the water so quickly it was insane. Like the farm, <laughs> the farmers just decided they were going to have amber, and I and those votes just shut up. They were never. Like I think after the first week, Jamie Giblin and I were looking at the numbers. Going, they've doubled the amount that the brewers have. Literally doubled in the first week, uh, and they're all voting for amber. That the, the actual like we had pie charts for all of the different players at various <laughs> stages in terms of what the popularity was. And the farmer one was, it wasn't ever 100% amber, but I'm pretty sure it never dipped below 95%. It was just <laughs> They insane. were well, well organized on the farmer front. They, yeah. They were. The, the highlight was the Mason one there on just on that, because I remember seeing this pie chart and it was incredible. Like it was literally, it was 10%. Everything was completely equal. They couldn't have possibly made a more balanced pie chart if they tried. Every single rookie had exactly the same amount of votes. It's very, very Mason. So in character, were you, it was brilliant. Were you surprised <laughs> that the uh, blacksmiths lost their pick to the morticians yeah let's let's go to the actual event itself um so and, and the question you were asking so yeah that was that was the real upset um so yeah it, it was interesting we i loved watching all of the different tactics that came on especially the hunters waiting all of waiting to the last week to put in all of their votes and stuff that was super cool but um it was a real ride for us because we were obviously just as much in the dark as you guys. The big surprise was undoubtedly the blacksmiths uh, and the farmers, uh, sorry, the hunters shooting up the ranks. 
Although, that said, the butchers managed to get so much support, I guess we must have a massive butcher following in the UK and Europe, because the butchers almost caught up the farmers. Um, like, sorry, they almost caught up like the, uh, I think they were before the alchemists. Whatever it was, they just shot up the table. They were very, very, very close to the top. Um, well, and if you the- remember from the previous year, of the Union and Chains event, Mm. The butchers were losing. They overtook the gutter fish. Yeah, they th- overtook the fish in that last weekend. That's kind of what. So, I was so yeah, there are some strong. There are some strong butcher players that are in the UK. In that UK mm. area. Yeah, and I think that uh, that was sort of shot straight up. But yeah, the, I, I knew that. As I said before, the butchers who their choice was was always going to influence everything else. Like it was, it was really a tie between there was Cammy, there was Lane, and there was. Um, I can't remember the last one now. Oh, champ! And it, whichever yeah. whichever one they took was going to dramatically influence everybody else below them because because purely because those were kind of uh, Lane especially and Champ were the two ones who were kind of tied up in that whole mess of of the votes where they're all going to go and stuff. Um, Nomad not going to Alchemist was a bit of a shock. Uh, that was a very early one because obviously they decided to switch to Cami. But the real surprise obviously was was Gaffer. And the morticians, because I don't think even the mortician players thought that could happen. And um, well, as a result, well, I also, heard I heard stories that uh, Rich from Don't Touch the Beard was politicking pretty hard during the whole thing, yeah. trying to get as many votes as he could. He really was. Uh, when we actually announced it, um, one of the most fun things I think I might ever have done for Steamforge was the uh, was the free seas draft. That was so cool. But um, when we announced it, I was like, no one's going to like this one. <laughs> just, just, just as a pre-warning, and they came up, and I think a few people in the audience kind of sat up and suddenly paid attention. Hang on a minute, that's not blacksmith symbol. And then immediately, <laughs> of course, Gaffer's head appears, and I just hear this roar and laughter, and there's Rich like pretty much doing the platoon pose with his hands in the air, screaming "Yes!" <laughs> like at the top of his voice, and everyone else around him looking at him like he's a lunatic. Wow, um, it was so cool. It was definitely very good. Well, I know, I know that uh, our buddy Rick is heartbroken that he lost Gaffer. Yeah. But yeah. you did save yourself a lot of probably Facebook messages or comments about how he wants to be the inspiration for Gaffer. So congratulations <laughs> to you, Sherwin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry, man. He was a really nice guy when I met him at SteamCon as well, and I wish he could have got his way. But sadly, yeah. Yeah, the people chose otherwise, and that's all I've got. Um, I, I will say, <laughs> I actually looked at some of Cutlass's rules and stuff earlier on. Not well la- at the end of last week, and she was pretty cool. I don't think he'll be disappointed. Good. So let me ask you this, because like I told you before we started recording, that I, I'm a big fluff guy, but it's been a little difficult for me to get invested in these uh, these new models coming out for that came out through the draft. So. What is kind of the the backstory here? With are these these are just new guild ball players that these new team or these teams have drafted, and are they going to start working them into lineups like in the fluff? Like how's that working out? So it's interesting because obviously they all come from different backgrounds by nature of what it is, but for the most part, these are all characters where um, they 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 yeah they're, there's some sort of something that's driving them towards the world of guild ball. In the case of someone like Champ, for example, she's always wanted to be a guild ball player, and she's just never had 
the uh, the backing of a guild to actually step up to the ranks and actually do it. You know, she's always desperately wanted to do it. She's trained every day of her life, but because her family have no strings to pull or she's got no sort of tie, close ties to any existing guild ball teams, this is her way in. And for most of the rest of them, that's kind of a similar sort of thing. Obviously, Amber's an exception there. And there's some of them who are just out and out, kind of like Flea or Edge, aren't necessarily super in love with the game at the start of the Three Cities draft sort of process, but by the end of it, are very much invested in, no, I'm going to be a Guild Ball player, it's part of my identity. Especially Flea, actually, is the really obvious one there. So, it, it depends on each individual one. I mean, for someone like Knuckles, it's an escape. Uh, Knuckles is trying to get out of you know his previous life he's had, and he's worked out, well, on the pitch I get to beat people up, but I don't have to like you know kill them, and that feels pretty good. It's a, it's a transferable skill that I can pass on, so that's good. <laughs> so there's... Are any of these new players, are they reluctant as Windle is? Because I remember when I read season three, Windle just didn't want to do anything. He just would like to eat and sleep yeah, pretty much all day. Ass. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I, th- I think Flea starts off that way. But there's a point in the story where, quite personally, where Flea has a conversation with Honor. And she said, you know, this is you now. Like this is the this is your time to step up. You know, you are part of going to be part of something huge. This is this is the first free cities draft. You are part of something so massive that I am jealous of you. And I think that kind of rams home the sort of you know from someone he respects and someone who's got his own background as a farmer. He he really gets that feeling where it's like actually yeah, I I get that now and I, I do want to get involved in this thing. And almost too late to really influence a lot of people's minds, Flea suddenly finds himself going yeah this is me and I'm I'm really going to invest myself in this. So I think by the time we meet them, there's not anybody who's too reluctant. As such. Yes. So looking at Honor, because she is the first lady of Guild Ball, how much in the background, how much pull does she still really have in the game? Huge. The idea is okay. is that if there's there's not really like a sort of um, like a Hall of Fame for Guild Ball, but you can guarantee that there's this sense that Honor is Honor is a player who exists that will down the history books, everyone's going to remember Honor as yeah as as the standout player um, of yeah of Guild Ball. For years she is the years Tom to come. Brady of Guild Ball. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that, and sadly, that's the best one I can think of. I would probably go Pele for those who know their soccer, but yeah, there you go. But um, yeah, I knew you'd bring up Tom Brady. Um, yeah, <laughs> that, that's he did a, it again. Yeah, he so, did it again. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's Tom Brady is kind of a fairly good thing. Like people are always going to look back in the history books of Guild Ball in the in the universe, obviously, and go, yeah, Honor was you know in years and years and years to come, and say Honor was this really special type of player, and that's kind of part of the the thing that he obviously Grayscales has when he realizes that it won't be him. Obviously so, going back to season three. <laughs> so if you look at Hammer, would if Hammer had the ability to, do you think he would try to erase Honor's name from the world of Guild Ball and in the history books if he could? 100%. <laughs> yeah, because he's a prick. I know, I, and I kind of love him for that. But yeah, he does seem like that kind of guy that would be like, you know, I'm trying to be bigger, badder than, you know, she ever was and anybody ever was. And I want to erase her names from the history books. I don't know. It's quite that malicious towards Honor specifically, (laughs) but certainly I think he'd... Hammer's thing is he's competitive and he wants to win. He wants to be the guy who does it. He just doesn't have very good um, people skills or leadership skills versus... Versus who he is as an individual, like he's this incredibly talented football, uh, footballer. He's, you know, he's, he's this incredible physical specimen of a man, but he just doesn't have the ability to lead. <laughs> he is not a politician. No, not in the slightest. <laughs> so when when I got done reading the Lane fluff that just came out, 
Um, one thing that I really liked is it seemed like you're kind of circling back to season one fluff and Ox is kind of taking on that little brother. Hmm. And uh, he's he's kind of taking some ownership and taking Lane under his wing. And so you kind of made that, uh, let's, let's call it a, a literary promise in the first one that you were going to revisit that issue for him. Um, is that... Is, is this the relationship that's going to kind of bring that healing to Ox? Is that the plan? I think so. It's the, the thing with Ox is he's a character who's... Ox has obviously always been one of our bigger characters. He's the first guy we really properly meet in the game. And, and he has ten fingers instead of nine this time. Exactly, right? And <laughs> we kind of, we kind For of, anyone that's read the blade itself. <laughs> so we kind of look at Ox, and I think Ox is very much defined as one of those characters or one of those individuals, and people have probably met these people in their life, who, if you leave him on his own, he's completely self-destructive. Like, he, he doesn't really... He, he's not that he kind of can't function or he can't work, it's just that he's best when he's out there helping other people. He's one of these people who defines himself and is at, at his best when he has a foil to play off, which is helping everybody else. That's his purpose that he's always felt he has. And in his darker moments where he kind of become a hatchet man for kind of the butchers and everything else, it's purely because he doesn't have anybody to help. And as soon as he has that kind of dependable family that he's got to protect and look after, he definitely has this sort of sense of, you know, this is me. And I think had spent some time sort of locked up and kind of going away, I, spe- I especially think he kind of gets that. He kind of gets to reflect on, you know, who am I as a man? I can't stand who I've become. I want to be somebody else. And I think... Yeah, when he eventually does leave and obviously sees Brisket sacrifice, he realizes I'm not going back to that. I'm going. I, you know, this this true essence of who I am is I am a father figure to these kids. You know, it's through me that they're going to be able to live and survive and get through the day. And that's definitely what we see with Lane. So yeah, I think that's a fairly fairly accurate thing you said there. Yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to see how that develops. I mean, L- Lane obviously needs that person to mm. you know help protect him from himself in many ways. And Ox obviously needs a person to help protect. Um, do you mind if we go back and do a little bit of a... I, I think everyone that pays attention to all of this lore likes to play the what-if game. Do you mind if we do no, a little no, bit of what-if with some of that? Okay. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so let's say the uh, the Butcher Civil War goes the other way. Um, sure. How, how is that... How does that... Without giving... You know, I, I recognize you didn't do all the work of scripting out everything that would have happened but how do you see the world of Gilball being a little bit different specifically with brisket three and the church and order and all of that kind of stuff so, so what if the other side won? yeah what what happens mm. if if filet because filet is going to kill her she's not going to take the high road yeah so you say that there were other stories which got erased uh, they actually, I remember the moment. I surely probably should have recorded myself doing it. I dropped them in the recycle bin and emptied the recycle bin, so they are properly gone forever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there were. I did write stories for different endings for Butcher Civil War. Um, the one we got was because Brisket had an extremely narrow win over over Fillet or Fillet. We would have had if Fillet had had an overwhelming victory. Brisket would be dead about now, and so would Ox. Um, okay. 
Uh, at that point, obviously, we have a very, very different. We get a very different place. The point where Matt went, if if you guys, uh, if there's a recording out there somewhere of uh, when Matt first during the keynote we did at the first Steamcon, where he said we got Ox back, and he said is so happy and full of excitement, it's because he knew that there was a very real possibility that Ox was going to be found face face down in a river somewhere. Um, mm. That that was definitely uh, quite heartfelt that moment, and. Yeah, so and if we'd had less, if we'd had a more marginal kind of fillet victory, then chances are Ox would just not have surfaced, and Brisket still, Brisket probably would have been banished. Um, although whether she went to the church or not is TBD. The thing that we almost had, um, if Brisket had been killed, is that Gutter would have stepped up into becoming the uh, into the third Union captain. Hmm. That makes so much sense with that gutter model. Yeah. That like yeah, right. now we have that we feel like we don't have a place for. Okay, thanks for tie, tying up the loose ends on that. I appreciate that. And I think that it's interesting that you mentioned the idea that the margin of victory really well, mattered. Because and here's something cool that I like to imagine with that scenario though, and you even talk about this in the story as it's developing where brisket basically has fillet under the knife. And she looks over and she sees Boar almost like salivating at, yes, kill her so I can step up and take control. How crazy would the Butcher's Guild be under Boar's control? I wouldn't even like to think about how crazy that would be. <laughs> that would be absolutely mental. Like, I mean, this this guy, you know, I, I'm, I'm, pre- yeah. I'm pretty sure everyone's going to go crazy, right? He's just going to incite such bloodlust in his team, everyone's going to get flanned. I don't even want to begin to imagine a butcher team that can do that. I almost like to imagine that it might be similar to like Joseph Stalin running a guild ball team. <laughs> Is that because of the mustache? Yeah, I think that's that's what draws it all in. That that makes kind of Ox this very disappointed Lenin kind of looking at him going, you've ruined everything. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Had this glorious dream and you ruined it. I, I just, I, I hate war. He. What what a coward! What a traitor! Oh yeah, you just don't like him because he left your boy. Yeah, that's out right, in the alley. man. Like, come on, go out <laughs> swinging. Uh, so, um, okay, so that that's really interesting. The the idea that the margin of victory mattered because that also tells us a little bit about how those types of things matter for the future events, right? Like the fact that the farmers had a strong showing for Amber and you know, basically set their sights and went whole hog to get her. I mean, that that's telling about, you know, that could influence the story in the future. So yeah. I like that you guys include or consider those margins of victory as well. Um, the second event, Union and Chains. I yeah, let's know, talk about this fucking event. I want to know what really <laughs> happened with the Ox thing, or with the Obelisk thing. So what what really happened with Obelisk and Vet Minx and Vet Hemlock? Okay, so... Speaking quite candidly, there's uh, there's this thing that happens where we're kind of going through, and then Matt breaks into the busts into the office one day, and he kind of goes, "Well, I say this, I'm exa- I'm somewhat making this sound a little more extravagant, so I don't actually work in the office." But well, you well, are the storyteller. Well, I'm gonna, I'm going to edit it so it is that. You yeah, know, that's fine. Whatever works for you. Matt breaks in. He's kind of <laughs> guys. I've got this incredible idea, right? Like we're going to have a swerve, and this kind of Jamie and I going, "Oh, oh god." Yeah. <laughs> Okay, what are we doing? No, in all seriousness, the the obvious thing was built in from the start of the Union Chains. Uh, it absolutely was Matt's kind of idea that he thought it'd be fun and it would sort of serve everything around and work interestingly in, purely because we knew that we needed to bring Minx into it. Um, and as a result, we knew that we had basically one player, we had one odd player, we needed to have one extra player go out there. And Minx was it. And the obvious thing was it already had the narrative play out 
for what was going on with the hunters and the and uh, minx right at the start of season two. So we knew that would have to happen that way. And um, I think See, the impo- but I, I think fluff wise and in game it actually worked out for the best because she almost comes home to the hunters with her brother mm. and then on the table. I mean, vet minx is an, an amazing model that hunter players are loving right now so but but the thing that i i kind of wonder is did you guys time it specifically when it seemed like the the lead was held by the other team like because because that was the thing that like made everyone think what's up with this adjustment like why now yeah like because because the did you guys not anticipate that the lead would be held by the other side or that was pure luck if i'm entirely truthful. okay um okay. we always I mean, that was always going to be a bit of a kicker, whichever way happened, we knew. I mean, say, for example, I think at the time, Morticians had the lead, right? And a, lot of pe- and a lot of people said, oh, that's just because it looked like the Hunters were never going to get the player. It's like, well, not really. It was always coded that way. Imagine the swerve could have been the other way if the Hunters had the lead and it had been you know, a bit of struggle. Everyone would say, oh, wow, so you decide to give it to Morticians anyway, blah, blah. The thing that I thought was super funny uh, was that as soon as we announced it, there was, I remember... I think it was TNG, Tom, Tom uh, did a, uh, he had a picture he basically made of Hemlock standing there with Minx's shadow underneath saying, this isn't the player we want. And obviously it's, it's a picture of that. And as soon as we then put out the change and suddenly it's, oh, you get veteran Minx. Tom was one of the first people to start shouting at, oh, I can't believe we've been swerved. It's like, Tom, I'm going to save that picture. I've saved that picture. I'm going to show that picture to you next time I see you. Just to say, <laughs> you know, you of all people probably shouldn't be able to say that stuff right now. Yeah. But there we are. <laughs> so is that the same with the uh, kind of twist of fate with Nomad that we're we're looking at here as well? No, not at all. The the but we knew for we know. See, that was one particular swerve we did. Um, we knew well that was the swerve we've done in these things. The free cities draft. There was no way we were going to touch anything like that for two reasons. One, because we were as excited about what everything was going to happen as you guys were. To be quite honest, we didn't okay. want to influence anything. We thought this would be super cool to just see where it gets to. And secondly, uh, purely because we didn't want to do it again because we knew that backlash would be ridiculous. Like we're not going to swerve you twice. Okay, um, it's ridiculous as a concept. So going back to the union and chains, I love the the fluff you did after the event on like, okay, how does this model get to that guild? Hmm. And I, I really did enjoy the story that you did with Harry and obviously Gutter was involved hmm. in that and everything else. And the one thing that I think a lot of people are curious about is you have Harry obviously die and then you have this pretty much, you know, actor take his place in the Sultician guild. And is that, did you get that inspiration from like somewhere else? Because that's a storyline that's been played out a couple of times in a couple of movies and books and things that I've read. So I was just wondering if like you, the prestige. Yeah, like it, it definitely <laughs> that was the one that first came to me like, oh, this is like the prestige and, you know, the drunk actor that they find to be his double. Do you know, I can't honestly remember where that came from. It wasn't I don't think it was me. I think we were all spitballing how we were going to get Harry into the team. And that's what we ended up landing on. I think as a team, we kind of bounced into that. That's where it was. Um, I wouldn't like to say who who came up with that idea, but as soon as we did, we're like, yeah, sure, that works. That fits in exactly with what the church is kind of doing in terms of getting a whole bunch of recognized players, so that way everybody sort of jumps on side and follows them. So yeah, it could well be whoever came up with it was influenced by uh, by the Prestige, which which is a great movie. I love that movie. Mm. Christopher Nolan is a winner. <laughs> <laughs> so. The the other thing that I kind of wanted to look at with some of these future events um, 
you know, it, do you have anything, uh, I don't want to ask this because I, I, <laughs> I don't want to ask this incorrectly. So, um, are there any stories that you're particularly excited about telling in the future, not, not the current ones that are currently going on, but ones mm. that like you maybe have personal attachment to that you're like, man, when, when I hit this, just to let you guys know, I've got, I'm really excited about this when one day it arrives. Do you know, I think we've mostly, the one that I was really, really excited to write, honestly, was Feron Origins. And that's now obviously been and done. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it, it, the story that I'm very excited to write is more about what happens with the hunters next. Um, okay. And the sort of ongoing thing there and the ongoing saga there. And the same with the engineers as well. There's a really, really awesome engineer story under the hood, which I need to try and fit in. But I don't think either the right place for those those two particular stories are a community event, uh, honestly. Sadly, it's. I, I think they're more kind of a story that you read and you don't influence because they just yeah. play out a certain way. Um, I don't know. The community events are an interesting one because you have to find something which grabs hold of people. But at the same time... Um, you know, it feels like it's engaging enough that if you don't read the stories, there's still something that you can actually vote for and you can actually get behind and get excited about. Yep. Yeah. No, that I, I, I agree with that. Um, are we ever going to get any more about Devana? Yes. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm interested to see where that could go. Yeah, and um, looking, looking at the kind of the stories well, coming out right now, Obviously, like you said, if you're reading about your favorite character, it's probably not a good thing. And you're kind of leaving this in the dark a little bit with kind of what's going on with the morticians. And, you know, we had this opening story where supposedly Obulus was the one being killed off. And yeah, there's just there's even though like you guys give us the story like that, there's still a lot of questions behind it because Obulus is kind of one of these shadowy characters that we don't know exactly you know, if it's the truth you're feeding us or if you're just, you know, luring us down a path with these tasty stories. So, I mean, is there anything you can kind of clarify with that whole mortician story? Oh, I can give you something just quickly about just what you were going back to with Devana. Um, people might have noticed I put a fairly hefty spoiler slash suggestive thing about Devana when we re-edited uh, Theron Origins and put it in the new format on the website. Yeah, mm. I did notice that. I was kind of wondering, are we done with Theron Origins? <laughs> mm. So it may well be that we do see something else about Devana, um, based upon that. But we'll uh, nice. we'll go from there. But in terms of in terms of what we're going on, I think in time we're going to see interesting stuff happen with the season four um, development. I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to talk too much about it because one of the things that we always try to with Guild Boys is kind of leave everybody guessing about what. You know, what happens next. We don't want ever to be the same case where, oh, this is the beginning of the story, this is the end of the story, everything lives happily ever yeah. after. Guild Boy is episodic. Guild Boy carries on going in between seasons and everything else. And I think anybody who's been more of a, one of our long-term fans or has read a lot of our fiction will appreciate and learn that's how it works. Um, the one that obviously everyone keeps asking about is uh, is our Christmas tale. Um, <laughs> whether that's uh, which Jamie managed to cunningly tag as canon slash non-canon which I enjoyed immensely. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, and this is also kind of going deeper into the background. So 
the story at least hints at that Obulus is dead. Is that something that would become public knowledge in the world of Guild Ball? Or is that something you think that they would try to keep under, like, keep under wraps so the world didn't just all of a sudden explode because Obulus is now out of the game? I think that it's something that I don't think you could not acknowledge it, if that makes sense, because Obulus yeah. is such a significant figure. But I think the thing that would keep everybody in check would be this sense of it's a weird sort of enduring legacy that Obulus would have, his disappearance slash death, whichever one you believe is, is the truth, is that no one would really... Well, I guess half the people out in the actual universe wouldn't believe it anyway. And the other half of the people... <laughs> And the other half of the people would say, well, we don't ever want to admit how much power he had over us to our rivals. Is this, though, so it's almost like Andy Kaufman, where we don't know if he's really dead or not. Yeah, perhaps. It's more so or much... really insane or not. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> my, my thinking with, with Obulus is more so much that people would say, well, we don't know whether we actually believe... Uh, you know, we don't want to admit that he had this much power over us, because that makes us look weak. Of course... Knowing full well their rivals might have had been exactly the same position, but they can't dare to admit it just in case it's not true. And I think pretty much every <laughs> single guild is, is is currently in that place with regards to Obulus. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, we've been talking with Sherwin for an hour and fifteen minutes. We now. have. Uh, do you have any other questions that you want to ask him before we let him go? Um, I don't know. Is there anything that I don't know? Maybe you want to ask us, Sherwin, or anything you might want to just. Talk about our share real quick before we wrap this thing up. Yeah, do you have any tasty morsels you want to give the people? Uh, do you guys want to know who's next for the Free Cities Draft Stories? Yeah. Well, sure. I tell you, I'm kind of excited about this draft thing now, so I, I actually am interested now. <laughs> okay, so next up we have coming on... Well, it depends on, the, depends on when you guys are putting this out. People might already know this, so I'll tell you the next couple will go from there. The only there downside to this is because I've closed down the folder that actually has them in order, I can honestly tell you. Uh, <laughs> one moment <laughs> why I just catch up. So the next one I know is going to be called Fresh Ink, and that, unsurprisingly, is our Tattooed Man Knuckles. Nice. Okay. And after that is one called Endless Horizon which might make your friend Rick happier. There you go. Okay. So depending on when this actually goes out, those might be spoilers. They might not be. I'm going to um, try to have this out by probably Wednesday is probably when I'm going to put this out. Okay. In which case, there's a couple of spoilers for you there, guys. I will quickly ask, though, so what was your favorite moment in the lore so far? We obviously know that apparently chopping off of legs is the thing. But Yeah, Chris, a big fan of that. The, 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 other, one that, the other one that really really captured me was that scene in the dungeon where they talk about smashing the fingers and all that. I was like, wow, this, this world is not going to be okay. This is, <laughs> this is going to be a dark world. And, and, and that one, uh, looking back, I wasn't a butcher's player right away. So looking back, I love that story about Ox and Corsair. Um, mm. and I, I, I hold it up as iconic, but the one that actually really, if I'm being honest, captured my attention and made me say, I want to read this lore it's that the fact that you wanted to go that dark mm. with the fingers and the breaking the fingers. Yeah, and probably my favorite story, and I share this all the time, is I, I like the story where Grayscales, and this is season three, where Grayscales is kind of like traveling around, but he, he visits the Mason's practice pitch and he's talking with, you know, Mallet, because him, him and Mallet are both, you know, old vets of the game. And he talks with Harmony, who she doesn't like him being there and she's kind of arrogant kind of like hammer is now mm. and then 
My favorite part of that story is, though, when Hammer just comes over and lifts Grayscales off the ground. Basically tells him, like, don't show his face around here ever again. You know, this is my team now. And basically just throws him in the dirt and, you know, is done with him. Mm. It's interesting. That one's not a super popular one that I hear from lots of people. That's interesting. Well, I'm kind of... I tend to be an arrogant guy sometimes, so... Oh, okay, fair enough. (laughs) So your spirit animal is Hammer. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, because... I also don't like fishermen a lot, so grayscale's getting thrown a lot, and then I already shared Hooper smashing his knee in was another good one that I liked. Yeah, there was no unpredictable movement on that shit. Yeah, I didn't dodge that one. I'm guessing you used (laughs) it up earlier in the turn or something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I do want to ask one more question. I know you said that you don't have a ton of time for getting games in, but I think we're going to start asking this question of people is – uh, one thing that we love talking about in sports is those, you know, matchups, those dream matchups of, you know, what would it be like if LeBron played Michael Jordan and those types of things. So tell me who would win that pre nerf thresher list or the season two, more season two obby list. Oh, yeah. Do you know, I'm going to play the European cards. Uh, and start talking about how Obulus wasn't that much of a big deal over here in Season 2. Because I think that's what we were doing at the time, right? I think that's what (laughs) we were saying. Uh, And go for there. Um, Sure, I'm going to go with Thresher, purely because I remember playing that Obulus list, and whilst there were some incredible players playing that list, the, the honest thing about that was... Incredible players will win games, whoever they are. Like, mm-hmm. if you play Alex Botts, Alex Botts, uh, I, I could play Alex Botts a hundred times in a row and I would lose every single one of those games. And that's because <laughs> Alex is an incredible player and I am not an incredible player. And yeah, he could be using something that's more powerful than what I'm using, but it's got no difference with regards to that. But at the same time, there's a whole bunch of people out there who I could play who would use exactly the same list as what Alex does, who I actually am able to beat. And that's purely because. You know the player isn't so powerful. It's more some. Uh, sorry, the the team isn't so powerful. It's what the player actually brings it with. Uh, whereas I think the fresher list was a bit more point and click, and I think okay. that's probably its strength. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we're we're gonna start asking people that, and then we might actually break out those old cards because we can recreate those dream matchups, and so we might actually break out those old cards and create a battle report of a dream matchup. Damn it! That means I'm gonna have to play season two Obulus. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, if you, want to, if, you, if you want to go to there, you need to go back to season one. I remember when Decimate had. had uh, Decimate's got one inch reach on as uh, she is in the Union now, or two? It's still one in Union. Yeah, it used to be two. That was grim. Oh. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think Hemlock had AoE blind. That was horrific. Yes, it, and yeah, and Defense 6. Uh, which we got to find bad. some old cards. <laughs> yeah, those old, those old cards, they are, they are gold in terms of terrifying power levels. <laughs> it's interesting the one that everyone thought was broken was missed at momentous tackle one one and uh, that's back that is back yeah missed isn't broken miss misses goals all the time <laughs> <laughs> so anyway thank you for making the time we appreciate you coming on sharing a, with us a little bit more of that behind the scenes and uh, we we look forward to hearing more of the lore. We look forward to seeing season four, season five. I I really hope to get a lore book one day, like a one like of a the complete anthology. Yeah, like like one of the nice hardcovers, like they do for the the season two and three, but like just lore where it doesn't have all the other, uh, you know, 
rules, rules and other and, nonsense in there. Well, yeah, just because like once those rules get updated, like you don't, what do you do with them? You yeah, know, right. like so. But I, I would love a, a lore anthology, and so I look forward to reading all of it. I'd love to have it all in that collected edition. And you guys have been doing some great work. I appreciate the synergy that exists between you and the other development side. Yeah. And, that's uh, that's that's created a great game for us, and so we really appreciate you coming on, man. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been awesome. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, and you've made our fiftieth episode awesome, Sherwin. We want to thank you for uh, for coming on. And I think with that being said, we're gonna roll some dice and throw some salt, and we're out of here. Cool.